Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. As we continue in our series called Family Tea, we're going to take an extended look at the role parents have in shaping the faith of their children. The world that we live in today is more dangerous than ever for our kids, and it's therefore all the more crucial that we look to God for help in this wonderful and terrifying task of equipping our sons and daughters for a life of godliness in a world of filth. Thanks for joining us today as we worship God in our study of the responsibility of the family. privileges that I had that was unforeseen to me on the mission field was serving as the varsity boys basketball coach. Uh, the team uh, or the school didn't have a team for a, a couple of years prior to our getting there, but the boys wanted to play and they needed a coach. And so uh, year after year, I jumped in and, and started to make little changes here and there. We got them new jerseys and uh, then we tried to spruce up the um, court that we had to play on. And uh, little by little, the team started to grow, and uh, word started to spread. We, we got some better players in, and um, still lost, like, every game, though. I mean, so it's, this is not really a, uh, a testament to my coaching ability, but uh, one of the things that I realized in effort of putting together a team is that it takes more than just teaching them fundamentals. Fundamentals are important. Anyone who coaches understands this. You have to practice the basics of what it means. However... The fundamentals of the game are not what make a team. There is something deeper than that. There is something that's driven to the soul of the team that needs to be fostered in their hearts and lives. I remember a few moments where I was able to see this, where it moved beyond just winning or losing, and they started to support one another and help one another. And there was something magical that happened in the lives of these boys as they became knit together as a team. It's a challenge, and it was more than I can handle myself. And, and this, for me today, provides a reminder of the challenge that it is to raise children in our world today. For having children to grow up in our home is something that requires far more than the fundamentals of food and shelter. In fact, your task as a parent, ready or not, God has said, and I, I remember thinking in my own life that I wanted to have a cer- certain uh, um, level of expertise in my life before I was ready for kids. And I remember my dad saying, you're never ready for kids. <laughs> so ready or not. But the greatest challenge that comes to a mom and a dad is not just providing shelter or food. It's the formation of a soul. Your task as a mommy and as a daddy in this world is helping to grow them not just outwardly. You, you, you could hook them up to an IV and they'll frankly sometimes get better nourishment than they do in the lunch line. And that will cause them to physically grow. But that is not your greatest challenge. Your challenge is a formation of a soul. Every human on earth born into this world is born with an orientation towards God. Do you remember that from last week? They're, they're either born uh, or they, they either end up oriented towards God to bend the knee and confess with the mouth and worship Him or against God to turn away and resist Him. And all of them come into the world with spirits that don't respond to God. And so our task as parents is one of a formation of that which is unseen. An incredible challenge and one to which we will find 
ourselves unfit to the task, which is what we're going to look at to examine this morning. I've entitled this message, The Parent of Their Hearts. And in the same way that we looked at last week, and just as point of review, you, re- you might remember uh, that the challenge for us is honest instruction to the heart. And what is that? Is that an event? Does that just happen once? I'm glad we had this talk, son. Done? Is that, is that the deal? No. It is a process. You might remember this. It's honest, so it's truth-centered. It's instruction. It means you need to speak up, and it's focused to their heart. That was last week. And I, I, I remember I gave you the example of Play-Doh. What happens if you leave Play-Doh out too long? It doesn't respond any longer, right? And, and there is a fleeting moment within our lives uh, where we're, we're given children who are malleable that will respond. What an incredible privilege. What a terrifying task each of us has. I also want to remind you that even though your children may be grown and have left the home, I, I want to ask for a show of hands. You all know who you are, right? Yeah. Uh, the task is not finished. You still have a role to play. It's only simply because of the culture in which we live that sees this uh, forced forensic jettison of your children at age 18. Well, you're on your own now. You made your bed, sleep in it, right? I mean, this, this is something that comes by nature of our world. However, if you were to look to other cultures on earth or earlier cultures, you'll find that there is still a continuing influence of the parents in the lives of their children. That... That persists, which is why the challenge that I offer to you within this grace excursion of this series is that if you have kids, take them out. If you don't, find some kids in our church and take them out. I asked a couple of teenagers that we have in this church if I could take them out for coffee this month sometime. They said, okay. They were a little nervous. (laughs) It's Cody and Matt, you guys, so it's fine. They're going to be fine. But, but that, that, that's the challenge to every one of us here. We are a family. We are in God's family. And by virtue of being in a family, there are tasks that continue, even though you may have, have kids leave your home. Uh, I, we're really going to look at that subject in particular uh, in, in November when we get to it. But um, for now, we're going to focus on the role of parenting. And to really highlight that subject, I, I, I wanted to just remind you of the challenges that kids face today. Are you aware of the things that kids today are facing that you and I didn't have? Two generations ago, uh, children uh, sometimes didn't even have enough food. And, and that, that was an almost epidemic problem in some places in our country. Do you know that today we lead the world in adolescent obesity for children? Now, the, the, the problem today isn't that they don't get enough. The problem today is that they're diabetic because they have a overabundance of, of pleasure-seeking foods. Um, two generations ago, they had to uh, write laws to prevent children from working. Uh, today, it, it, I, I found this statistic uh, last night that in the first time in 130 years, uh, children age 18 to 24 are more likely to live at home than they are to get, out, get a job. We, we used to have to keep them from working. Now you can't even get them to get a job. <laughs> One generation ago, it was a treat to watch television. I remember be, being a kid, and uh, Saturday morning was the only time I could see a cartoon. Boy, I love Saturday morning. Even then, I had to make sure my chores were done. I had to make sure there wasn't anything else I was pressing that my dad needed help with. And if those two things had been met, I got to sit and watch Garfield. Right, But that was it. That was the only time. Now you have some 900 channels to choose from 
and an entire plethora of which are geared specifically to children. Entire networks only for children. This has become so epidemic, again, in our world today, that um, the American Psychology Association has uh, uncovered a new medical uh, and mental health disorder called electronic screen syndrome. Children today are being diagnosed with mental health problems because of their time in front of a screen. That was one generation ago that didn't exist. Uh, Two generations ago, um, they had to have a draft for military service because that was a a very dangerous uh, place to find yourself. Today, kids are more likely to be killed in school than they are in the, than military officers. There, there were more deaths thus far in 2018 that happened in schools than happened in active military service. Two generations ago, you could talk to your neighbor, uh, the guy walking down the street, you could have a conversation with, you could sit on your front porch. Now you have to watch out for online predators and, and chat room predators, Facebook predators. We didn't have that when I was growing up. One generation ago, pornography was in the back corner of the, uh, the bookstore. P- pretty much covered up. Nowadays, uh, eight, the statistics say 80% of children 8 years to 16, starting at 8 years old, have been exposed to um, unwanted pornography on, online. One generation ago, the most violent video game you could play was Duck Hunt. Who remembers Duck Hunt? <laughs> And some parents at the time said, this is too violent. You're you're putting a a weapon, a gun in in our children's hands. Do you understand today that the majority of video games are filled with killing? And that's the premise of the game such that kids today, hear me now, they've been desensitized to the image of uh, killing a human being. That, that, doesn't, that doesn't strike them as it should as being something that offends the creator in whose image man and woman have been made. They've been desensitized to it. That's, that's, that's normal. I was walking through Walmart yesterday with my son, and we walked past the video section, and the words out of his mouth were, look at all the R-rated movies. I haven't, I haven't prepped him on that. We haven't had discussions on R-rated movies. He was making that observation on his own because he knows he's not allowed to watch those movies. And as we simply walked past the display, he knew, I can't watch any of these. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have time even just to mention cyberbullying or the way in which your records are now all permanent online. Thank goodness that the internet didn't exist when I was a kid, that the mistakes and the successes I had, they're lost in time. There's not a record of that you can click on on Facebook history and see it all once more. Uh, the internet brings a portal of false news, of false information, uh, all the good that it can do. Uh, what do you think? Is it harder today for parents? than it ever was before. And what we need to see is that the answer to the problem in our world today is one that doesn't come by changing behavior. You have to be a parent to chase after their hearts. Parenting is something. And hear me now again, just because your kids are grown, you're not off the hook on this. The church is a family of families, thus we need every one of you. I'll make mention of it again. The tradition in our church is that we can bring children up here to baptize I'm not doing a thing for the child. The mom and the dad are on the hook. The sponsors are on the hook. And then I turn to the congregation. And every one of us say, before God, we promise to live a life such that we will help this young one come to faith. Let's ask the question, are we doing that? 
I want to give you the encouragement that we need every one of you to be involved in raising children in our church today. Our passage this morning comes out of the book of Proverbs. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there with me. We're going to read through chapter 2. We're going to find that there are four primary observations from the body of the text. And then four conclusions that I'd like to share with you that we can uh, learn from God's word this morning. Thus that we would hide it in our hearts, adopt it into the patterns of our lives and in our homes. uh, That God would bless us as parents and grandparents and those who are adopted as parents. One reminder, again, as you're turning there, our resource for this series is a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. There's probably a dozen copies left back on the um, welcome area. Please, please pick this up. Uh, this ought to be required reading for any, um, anyone in the church. Just fantastic. In fact, I would just share with you every now and then I have a lot of books on my shelf. And uh, sometimes you'll read an entire book just to underline or circle one or two key points. Um, I have got underlining, circling, page after page after page. That's the value contained within the pages of of this book. So I want to leave that for your own study afterwards. All right, Proverbs chapter 2, page 986 in the Pew Bibles. We'll start in verse 1. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, Turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. And if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds victory In store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just. And protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair. And every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart. And knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. From men whose words are perverse. Who leave the straight paths, who walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil. Whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. It will save you also from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death. And her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain to the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of good men. And keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land. And the unfaithful will be torn from it. Uh, This passage is one for us that really has four primary Sections, uh, an, an introductory one. Uh, re- it's really begging, entreating the reader to seek after wisdom. After this comes the promise of what wisdom does in the final two sections, give an evaluation over a, a wicked guy and a wicked girl called, called an adulteress. And so we're, we're going to walk through these areas. However, the first observation I want you to see as we're studying the responsibility of, of parenting, is that you are called to it. 
Okay, hear me now. It's not coaches that are responsible for the development of a soul. It's not pastors who are responsible for the development of a soul. It's not teachers who are responsible for the development of a soul. It is a task given to moms and dads. Coaches and pastors and teachers are all resources that you can draw upon, but it is not their responsibility. It is the responsibility of a parent. Uh, I want you to recognize that right in verse 1, the call to the child, to the son, says, if you accept, whose words? Do you see this? There's no way to wiggle around this. It doesn't say, "If if you accept your pastor's words. This is a father speaking to his son now. If you accept my words and store up my commands within you. And then it continues on from there for what we seek after. But that's the first thing I want you to see. As a parent, we have to begin there. You're called to this. Secondly, uh, you cannot do it. So what gives, huh? How does that work? I'm called to it, but I, I can't do it? What do you mean by that? I want you to see how the text immediately changes from the first person pronoun to drawing from a resource outside of the parent. Verse 1 says, My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, then look at what verse 2 does. Turning your ear to... Oh, wisdom now. You, you see, wisdom is not something that parents are, are just granted automatically. Wisdom doesn't come from um, sitting and meditating on the nice cool weather. <laughs> wisdom isn't something that comes by watching Dr. Phil or Dr. Oz or how many more do we have to choose from? No, wisdom, hear me now, wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. Look with me in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. And so the calling to the parent is one that says, you are given the task of the formation of the soul, but you can't do it. And I have a word I'd like to add to this one. You can't do it alone. You cannot do the task of parenting alone. You're called to it, and so you're responsible for it. But in the responsibility of the heart of the parent is one that says, I need to look to the Lord for help. Boy, I just wonder if, if all of us recognize the need to be on our knees as much as we ought to be for this task. I think through some of the tragedies that we've experienced in our country over the last few years, some of the shootings in schools, the shootings in churches. You, you know, there's, there's a part of me that wants to become very upset over for the shooter, really angry, really ticked off. Anybody with me there? I could use other words, but this is church, so you know where I would go with that. Um, and then there's another part of my heart that just looks to the sorrow of what it is they must be facing that would cause an individual to do such a horrific act. How does that happen? And when you start to uncover some of the stories of these people for how they've been treated, the lack of love, the abuse that they've received in the home, you see the destruction that can happen to a soul. What, what a terrible, wonderful, awful task is given to us that God trusts you and expects you as a mom and dad to form that which is unseen in the heart of these children. You're called to it, but you can't do it alone. You must turn to God and you must ask for wisdom that he would equip you and give you what you need. Uh, Again, verses 1 and 2 show us that that's the pattern. Verse 1, you have the responsibility. Verse 2, you must turn to wisdom. Everybody with me on that? Say amen if you're with me. Okay. Thirdly, 
Here's the promise of wisdom. Wisdom will protect and save you. I'd like you to just see how our passage here unfolds this. Look in verse 7. Right after we find in verse 6 that it comes from, uh, comes from God in verse 7. <clears throat> he holds victory in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects. Do you see those words? Shield, guard, protect. I, I looked up the Hebrew word there used for uh, uh, guard. And it's a word that means to keep by keeping watch over. It, it doesn't simply mean I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand and pay attention to. It means I'm going to protect. And the idea that you take something that's treasured to you. and you where, where, where do you keep your possessions? Not in the sock drawer. Come on. Where do you keep your, your, your most valuable possessions? You put them in a safe, right? And you turn the key in the lock. That's this Hebrew word. That's what it means to guard. It means it's, it's, it's being watched over under the protection of being kept. One of the greatest difficulties in our world today for parents is the fear of losing our children. I don't know how many of you have that, but I know that it's rampant in our world. You, you, you want to know something? You can't be there to protect them always. They're going to, they're going to grow up and they're going to go to college, hopefully. And I want to warn you, that's about the most dangerous place for a young person to go. Not only will they be filled with the freedom of doing whatever their peers would desire them to do. And you know some of the schools that you should probably avoid. But they are going to come under the authority of professors who do not fear God. They're going to come under the authority of those who think that, oh, that little country church that you used to go to when you were young, how quaint. And it's time for you now to grow up and jettison the fairy tale of God in your life. Hear me now. You, you won't be there for them in that moment. Mom's not going to be there to correct. Dad's not going to be there to help guide any longer. But do you know what you can give them? You can give them wisdom. Because wisdom will be with them. If you offer them wisdom at a young age when they're soft and pliable and moldable, that they learn to turn to God to recognize where to find wisdom, then in the moment of their temptation, who will be there? Come on, say it with me. Who will be there? God will be there with them. He will be there in wisdom to do what? Again, look at the text. What are these words? As a shield, as a guard to protect them. One of the greatest fears that I know parents have is that moment where they say, I, I, I can't be there any longer. So you know what? Give them something that can protect them. Give them wisdom. If verse 7 and 8 weren't enough, I'd like to draw your attention now to verse 10. 10 says this, For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will, what, what's it going to do? Protect you. And understanding will, what's it say? Guard you. There it is one more time. You and I cannot be with our children through the entirety of their life, but you can offer them something that will protect them from all the unseen dangers that they face in this world. And I hope that you're convinced already that parenting today is harder than ever before. How much more necessary is, us, is it then that we offer them that which can help them in that situation? Parents, you must hold the wisdom, for wisdom will protect and save. You're called to this task. You can't do it alone. Wisdom can be there for you when you are not there. I remember when I uh, went to college, uh, I, I relied on my dad pretty heavily for any need that I would have, but specifically when the car would break down. That's who I would call. 
Now, I went to school in Ohio, which is a bit of a distance from uh, Florence, Wisconsin. And I remember the first moment the truck started to make that clickety-clackety sound and uh, petered off on the side of the road. I picked up the phone, and who would I call? I called Dad. And do you know what he said in that moment? He said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> that's not why I was calling Dad. <laughs> what was he confident on? He was confident, and in the years that he had spent with me, he had passed on enough of what I would need, such that in that moment, I needed to put it to use. Now, I'm no mechanic, uh, but by my dad's tough love in that moment, he had offered me wisdom already that helped me and served me in that moment, such that I learned how to work with my two hands, how to call those that could fix what I could not, how to turn to others who I could bring alongside to help me in that moment. All those skills to which I needed in life to help grow me as an individual competent, able to serve the Lord today, were invested when I was young. He couldn't be there. But what did he offer? Wisdom. All right, and finally, and as I have already mentioned, wisdom comes from the Lord uh, again in verse 6. And you'll find this even in verse 5 if you look back this far. It'd be worth underlining the, the names of God here. Verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. So where are you going to turn? Well, you, you know, when I, when I get a new toy... Christmas time or if I just feel like treating myself, right? Or order something online and it shows up in that beautiful cardboard box. I get out the knife. You guys know what this is like. A lot of fun, right? What, what's, what's for me, right? I get it and I open it up and right there at the top after you unwrap the saran wrap uh, is, a, is a little white booklet, right? And it has, it has the name of the product on it and it has page after page after page. And I take that little booklet and you know what I do with it? That's right. I actually need it. Yeah, uh, I, I, I toss it away, right? Because anybody who has grown up in a world where their hearts have been turned to selfishness know that I can't wait to get my little greedy hands on whatever it is that's in there, figure it out for myself. And I don't turn to the manual that the manufacturer put together. Folks, this is epidemic in our world as well. Where, where do you turn for wisdom? Do you know what in our world today, the majority of people will find counsel from others who think what they think already? Do you know that? If I'm having a problem, I don't tend to go somewhere that's going to challenge me and find out that the fault actually lies in my darkened heart. But I'm going to find somebody who already agrees with me and is going to support whatever uh, acts I want to grind or whatever injustice has been done to me. And then we're going to get together and we're going to pout together and cry together. That's like taking the manual for fixing the issue in life, this 66 book in front of you and just tossing it aside. Wisdom comes from the Lord. We, it, you know it doesn't happen by accident. You're not going to learn the Bible like you tried to learn biology in, in college by putting it under your pillow and hoping that it soaks in somehow. It's not how you're going to learn. You've got to turn to God. And you don't turn to anywhere else. I don't go to my mechanic and ask for a hunting license. He doesn't have it, right? I, I'm not going to look for wisdom on TV or internet. I'm, I'm not going to look for wisdom by finding others who agree with me. I'm going to look to God's word. Everybody with me on the same page? Ready? All right. 
All right, so here's the question. And th- this is what we really need to solve this morning. How do you instill wisdom in your, into your children? If, if everybody's tracking with me this morning, that the parent is called to it, that they can't do it alone, that wisdom will be that which saves them, that it comes from God, how, how do we do that then? To, to, let, let's, let's figure out the way in which we do this. Number one, you need to frame their dependency upon God. For your children, you need to frame their dependency to be on God. I want you to see a couple of verses where this comes out. Verse 1 is where it starts. He doesn't doesn't address the son's behavior. Do you see that? He doesn't say, clean your room. You need to say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, more. He says, accept my words, store up my commands within you. That's where it begins. And then we look very quickly back over to verse 5 and 6 to see that the place where these commands are rooted is from God. And so the number one task for the parent is framing a dependency for children upon God. There's a passage uh, that Jesus speaks to in Matthew 6. You've heard it before. Jesus says these words. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But first, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. How does Jesus frame it? I want you to see right here. Right at the very middle, Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows. Where where does Jesus say that you need to turn in the moment of worry, in the moment of panic, in the moment of concern? You turn to God. God knows. Frame your dependency there. You need to look to the right place. When I was close to my son's age, uh, my dad would uh, take me out uh, hunting, bow hunting. And that's the season we're in right now, so I've been thinking a lot of metaphors that have to do with bow hunting. Uh, When we would go out, uh, he would show me where to look for the deer. He showed me how to look for the path and how you could recognize that this is actually a, a, a deer path through the woods. He would show me how to look for the rubs on the right type of trees. He would have me look for the scat on the ground such that I would be able to see that this was, in fact, where deer were. If you want to be a hunter, what do you need to look for? Where are the deer? That's right. If he's going to have me to be successful in being a hunter, he first has to show me where to look. If you want to be successful of instilling wisdom into your children, you need to first show them where to look. You need to frame for them dependency upon God. Secondly is this, you need to seek dependency on God. Uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to hit this now, but I'm going to return to this again. I want you to look for verses 2 through 4. Look at the verbs. Turning your ear to wisdom. Applying your heart to understanding. Verse 3 is, and 4 are particularly important. If you call out for insight. If you cry aloud for understanding. If you look for it as for silver. And search for it as for hidden treasure. Then verse 5 uh, can apply to you. That's when the then comes in. Does everybody see the if and the then? Wisdom won't happen by accident, folks. God's not going to force it upon you. He's going to wait for you to look in the right place. And then in looking, you have to seek after it. Again, look at the passage that Jesus shares, right? He says, your heavenly father knows you need them. And the very next thing he says is, 
So seek first. That's it. How is it that I instill wisdom into my children that it will serve them when I am not present? Number one, I need to frame them to look to the right place. Secondly, I need to show them how to seek after God. I myself need to seek after God that they will see it modeled in my life. So seeking dependency on God, you know what that's like? Um, I know a couple of guys that would come up hunting every year and uh, they live in the city and we know who they are, right? We know those guys. They, they come up for a couple of days, usually looking to get away. Um, I'll tell you this, they didn't usually get the big bucks. Uh, occasionally, one of them would get lucky, right? And those of us that live up here, we kind of scoff every now and then that they get the big, the big buck by accident somehow, right? When we've been out there. But I'll tell you this, if you were to go and look behind the shed at my mom's house, you will see rack after rack after rack after rack. My dad's got a whole wall filled with eight-pointers and six-pointers. You know why? Because that man would get up when it was dark. He would, he would take a shower and then put deer urine on his clothes. <laughs> he would wear uh, the best camouflage. That you, I mean, you, you, even if you knew where to look, you couldn't see him. He would spend weeks making sure that the bait piles were in the right spot, making sure that the, the lanes were cleared so that the arrow could get through in the right place. What, what, what is he doing to become successful after hunting? He's seeking it. And this takes intentionality. And this takes effort. And this takes work. And you and I are called to the same thing. If you want to instill wisdom into your children, first show them where to look, but then they have to seek it out. Sure, every now and then someone's going to get lucky, right? Uh, even a stop clock is right twice a day, and a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, right? And, and so every now and then you might run across a little nugget of wisdom by accident. However, your life will not be saturated with it such that when trial hits you, you're prepared to stand on reliance of God unless you've been seeking it. This doesn't happen by accident. If you want to instill wisdom into your children, first frame it. Secondly, seek it. Thirdly, you need to model dependency upon God. And this one I, I'd like to uh, spend a little bit more time on. Again, looking to Jesus' words, he says, your heavenly Father knows, so that's where you look. The command is, so seek, but what is it you're supposed to seek? His kingdom and his righteousness. Now, I, I, I think most of us read that and have no idea what that means. To seek his kingdom means you seek his rulership over your life. It's not like you're seeking it as a place to drive to, like Toledo. I'm seeking his kingdom. I'm headed to Marinette. Right? That, that this is, this is a, a place or a destination that you can go to. That's not what it means to seek his kingdom. To seek the kingdom of God means that I am seeking his rulership in my heart. I, I am now going to position my life in a manner that shows his command is what I follow. It's not some heady or intellectual assent to say, oh yes, I, I seek God's, God's kingdom. Or righteousness in the same manner. What does it mean to seek righteousness? Oh, I'm, I'm in favor of that as well. I'm, I'm a, a voting member of righteousness. It, to seek righteousness means that you begin to adopt changes of your behavior into your life. Uh, the writer here helps us to see that by showing two different sets of people. Here's, here's how you model dependency upon God. First of all, look with me in verse 12. 
I, I, want, I want to show you a bit of repetition here. This is worth underlining. Verse 12, wi- wisdom will what? What's the verb? Wisdom will save you. There's only one other place that that's mentioned, and it's, it's in verse 16. Wisdom will what? See again, verse 16, it will save you. We have salvation of wisdom coming from contrast of two different individuals. The first is the wicked, wicked man. So in verse 12, wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. All right? T- tell me about these dudes. What, what are they doing? Men whose words are perverse. So there it is. That's the first thing you'll find. Perverse words. They leave straight paths. They walk in dark ways. Verse 14. They delight in what? They delight in doing wrong. And lastly, they rejoice in perverseness of evil. They rejoice in evil. All right. So if this is what the, if the, the writer here is trying to show us something. If this is what you're not to follow after, then folks, it makes pretty logical sense for me that if you and I are going to instill wisdom in our children, we ought to show them the opposite of this. You get what I'm saying? So instead of perverse words, mom and dad, you need to speak wholesome words to your kids. I've learned that yelling doesn't work. Have you figured that out yet? It don't work. You can force obedience through abuse like that, but it doesn't work. You can raise your voice, and I've raised my voice to emphasize things, but there's a difference between raising my voice and flat-out yelling. How about some of the words that are thrown around in our house? Come on now, be honest. You smash your thumb with a hammer, what comes out your mouth? Yeah, how quickly are are our tongues led to curse or to speak evil of a neighbor? If you want to instill wisdom in the heart of your children, look, they're going to see plenty of examples of the wicked man, all right? The R-rated movies aren't being stopped from being shot, all right? They're going to have no end to that. Therefore, in the home, they need to see modeled wholesome words. All right, if straight paths are the problem, or they leave straight paths, then you need to walk on straight paths. Walking on a straight path means that you're held accountable to God's word. You don't turn to the right or the left. You don't accept a bribe, and you, you don't... Turn when it, and give up when it's, when it's hard. You, you stay upon the task. My dad used to say these words to me. If you start a job, you... You, you knew my dad, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I hated that one. Because as a kid, I'd rather ride my bike or throw stones or break sticks or do anything than whatever the chore was. But to, to walk a straight path means, look, if you start a job, you finish it. He had another saying too. Um, if you're going to do a job, you do it right the... You all know my dad. All right. There we go. Number three, they walk in dark ways. And so you and I, as moms and dads, we need to walk in the light. You don't, you don't get a double life. You don't get, I'm going out, honey, where are you going? I'll be back when I'm back. You don't, you don't get to do that. You don't get to live separately from your family. You're, you don't get to close a door and now nobody knows you are living in the light. There is no question in the, ch- the mind of your child that your life is a full open book such that they know what their parent stands for. They're going to get plenty of chances and they'll see it everywhere else to be in the dark. You want to instill wisdom in their hearts, you walk in the light. Fourthly is this, if they delight in doing wrong, then you do good. One of the absolute best things that you can do as a parent is serve those least of these in our world with your kids by your side. I served on the mission field for almost a decade with teams that would come down. And the very best teams were ones where parents brought their kids. And these children, they didn't, I'll tell you this, they didn't get as much work done. 
because the kids work slow. But those families were bonded together by serving and doing good together. Uh, I, I keep a pretty busy schedule. I got a lot of meetings and I'm always kind of up and down here. Um, I wish I could spend more time with my son. I, I wish I had just days off where we could just spend time together. But you know what I do instead? Poor kid. I carry him with me. He, he, I, when he knows I'm headed up to church, the pattern in his life is such that he actually asks me, can I come? Because he's so used to it now. The very best memories I have with my son is when we lived over in the Bahamas and I would teach Wednesday night Bible study and I'd bring him with me and he would sit in the pew and he'd fall asleep as a little boy because he was with his dad. You need to do good and delight in doing good, which is similar to the last one here is you need to rejoice in doing good. All right, so that's the pattern from verse 12 and on, all right? That's the wicked man. We have one more example to look through in verse 16 because remember, again, wisdom will save you from her as well. She's called the adulteress. If you look through uh, what's listed on her in verse 16, she has a, she's called a wayward wife. All right? So she's wayward. Uh, secondly, she has what kinds of words in verse 16? Do you see it there? Seductive words. Um, it's been said that um, words of seduction are not communication. They're manipulation. You guys know how true that is? You be careful with flattery, all right? Anytime, you be careful with that. Um, it, it's, it's also said uh, that in verse 17, uh, she has left the partner of her youth. I, I don't know if we're uh, specifically talking about divorce there. I suspect it's more what her title is, adultery. Fourthly, it says that uh, in doing so, she has ignored the covenant she made before God. I could go a whole nother 30 minutes on that particular one right there alone talking about marriage. I'm going to save that for a whole nother sermon another day. But that right there is very condemning. Your, your, your marriage vows are not before a guy in a gown. Your marriage vows are not before a judge in a desk. You're not married because a piece of paper says you are. God is the one who instituted marriage. I'm kind of preaching on it now. I'll save that for another day. Okay. And lastly, I want you to see, and this one's particularly condemning, verse 18 and 19. For her house leads down to death, her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain to the paths of life. She leads to death. All right. Same thing is true now. You want to instill wisdom in the heart of your child? They're going to have this in the world. You need to grow them up in the opposite of it. Instead of being wayward, uh, that, that word means just any breeze of the day changes my life, blows me however I feel today. Y'all get it? That's waywardness. You be disciplined. Be, being disciplined in the home will help train your children such they won't want anything to do with waywardness. Uh, instead of seductive words, you need to speak genuine words. You need to tell the truth. You need to tell the truth. Thirdly, she uh, left her partner. Man, it's hard. And I, and I know there's a lot of circumstances. I, I, I want to be sensitive to the brokenness of our world that leads to destruction within a home. What, what, a, what a failure the statistics in our world show for single homes where there's not a dad. When, when the dad is missing in a home, um, statistically, these are all those who continue to perpetuate a society away from God. The very best thing in a home is a committed husband and wife. And again, I got a whole other message where we talk about what that looks like between husbands and wives. Let's just suffice to say this morning, it ain't always easy. Any amens on that? Amen. 
All right. Ain't, I didn't hear any strong amen, so that's probably good. <laughs> amen. Do you hear a pastor? Yeah. No, it, it ain't always easy. But so understand this. You don't marry for love. You, you marry for commitment. Sometimes it's not going to feel loving. A marriage is not based upon a feeling. We, give me an amen on that. Right? Are we all on the same page? All right, let's move on. Uh, last, uh, or fourthly here, she has ignored the covenant, and so you need to be consistent and faithful to God. The Bible says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's one of the most detrimental things in a home is when a parent gives a command to a child and they, they, they disobey or they ignore or they ignore. I've seen this so many times. Mom will say it over and over and over and over. You know what that's like, Mom? Say it over and over and over and not have your son listen. Yeah, you, you need to be quick to discipline, quick to be consistent. It's this last one, though. You give, give me just a minute to preach on this one because this one's really important. Verses 8. Uh, first of all, let's just all, let's just all confess that we live in a sexually perverse culture. Are we all on the same page with that? So this adulterous one, this is a big one. And you've got to pay close attention to verse 18 and 19 because it says that she leads to paths of death. Now, when you're hunting, uh, you, you'll find the right tree. And I, I could help scope out for you. you. You want a tree that's straight and you want a tree that doesn't have a bunch of branches and limbs that are going to be in your alleys for shooting. If you do, you have to cut those off. However, the little critters in the forest, they pay attention, you know. They recognize when something changes. And if they start to discover there's been too many changes that are made in their little home or their realm where there's these new smells going on, you know what these animals will do? They'll find a different path to the food. And they'll change where they go. And so if you're a good hunter, if you really want to snare your prey, what you do is you very slowly over time develop it such that they become desensitized to your presence. Everybody understand this? This is like hunting class 101, but that's exactly what's happened in our world today. Your children have been desensitized to the alleys that the devil has laid out. And there are paths particularly designed to snare your children. The devil has very seductively and very intentionally and carefully manicured ways by which our children today no longer like a deer who who gives one of the... You know that sound, right? Something's wrong. They, they recognize, you see the tail go up. Something's wrong in this situation. I, I love being a hunter in those moments because it's fun to watch how, uh, how nature takes over. And they respond how they should. Because if you feel there's danger, what do you do? You sit around. I'm just hanging out here. <laughs> Bam! They are gone like a flash. And all you see is a white tail. That's all you see. What about today? Think of how many ways our young people today both those who live in your home and the ones that they go to school with have been desensitized like a very placid animal just being led to the slaughter, not realizing at all the danger. This is probably the greatest thing that I can offer to you this morning for parenting. If you want your child to be wise in this world and therefore be saved, you need to make them aware of the dangers that exist all of this is wrapped up in this third observation that you need to model dependency on God. It cannot be something where you say, do what I say, not what I do. Done. You get a failing grade on the parenting report card. You have to do what you say and model it before them. Lastly is walk in dependency on God. Again, Jesus' words in Matthew 6. 
Seek, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. I love the end though. Here it is for the walking. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Which means I need to live when? I need to live in it today. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on, of its own. You and I need to learn to walk in dependency on God. That may mean that you don't have all the answers right now. And that's okay. Live in it. Walk in it. Make it a part and a pattern of your life this week. All right. So what do you do with this? Here, here, here's, here's what I want to leave you with. Uh, these are some questions that are in your sermon notes. Um, I, I'm pulling these from verses 2, 3, and 4. Remember, verse 2 said, turn your ear to wisdom. Verse 3 says, call out for insight. Cry aloud for understanding. Verse 4 said, if you look for it as silver and gold. Everybody wants a paycheck. Everybody wants easy money, right? And you'll be quick to make a turn on the steering wheel if you knew there was free cash somewhere. God says, I offer wisdom to you freely. I'm not going to charge you for it. Are you willing to turn the wheel to that? Do you seek wisdom? As much as you would seek a payday? Because he says seek for it that way. So here are my questions. I want to ask you, what, what's stored up within me? Do I have his word stored in my heart? Is it, is it here? Do I pay attention to God's word? I, I, I really am so grateful to this church. I, I, I truly believe that you come on Sunday not to get done with church, to get to the game. I, I really feel like you come here to learn and to worship God through learning. So I, I'm thankful for, for your attention. Uh, but how, how about this? Do you think you need his word? You cry out to him. When's the last time you knelt beside your bedside? I wonder if we just pulled the church this morning. That how, how often are you humbled to kneel before your bed like, like the little kids do? That was for a little kid? No, that's for you to gain wisdom. And do you treasure his word? There's a verse in, verse in James. These, these are his words. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You're called to the task. You can't do it alone. Wisdom will be there for your children when you cannot. And wisdom comes from God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We pray with me today.